Hello, dearest listener. You have tuned in to At Your Peril by Arthur McBain and Owen Jenkins. Before we begin, a parish notice. A warning. What you are about to hear may terrify and horrify you to the very core of your being. It may also involve content unsuitable for children, those with a nervous disposition, or wimps. If you must, turn off your receiver now. No? In that case, we shall begin at your peril. Are you sitting comfortably? Are all the lights off in the house? Are you alone? Is the fire crackling its dying embers? Are there shadows dancing across the walls? Is the storm outside shaking and shuddering the house? Is the wind howling through the cracks in the creeks? Have you had a poo? Good. Then we will begin. The name is Bottomley. Crevice Bottomley. Sinjin Crevice Bottomley. Actor, author, and celebrity. You might remember me as the drug dealer in Last of the Summer Wine. You might also know me from long-running radio soap, The Archers, in which I play Barry, the mute. Or you might recognize me from my sexy tape. But tonight, I'm talking to you about something which is much, much more sinister. What I'm about to tell you is absolutely true. So, sit back on your chair, take a swig of your nightcap, and cling tightly to your blankie. This story is called Axnav. Not frightened you off yet? Good. Now, riddle me this, smarty pants. Have you ever been in a car? No? Oh, well, I highly recommend trying it. Wonderful machine. Like a very eager horse. Anyway, this is where our story unfolds, dear listener. In a car. Jenny Bamford loved her car very much. Its dark green color were not unlike her eyes. The hum of the engine soothed her soul. The glow from its headlights, porcelain, like her skin. Plus it had airbags, so that's pretty good. But most importantly, it could transport her anywhere she cared to go. It took her from A to B. Sometimes back to A again, sometimes off over to C. If she ended up at Q, she'd probably gotten lost. And Jenny often got lost. And this fact is the catalyst of our dark, dark tale. And the tale begins innocently enough, on the evening of Jenny Bamford's 27th birthday. Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday, dear Jenny! Happy birthday to you! (laughs) She was in her favourite local pub, with a select group of friends. And that suited Jenny just fine. As a matter of fact, she couldn't think of a better way to celebrate a birthday. 
All the gang was there. Her sister, Lisa. Happy birthday, Jenny. Her university roommate, Kirsty. Do you want another drink, Jen? Her office banter buddy, Tom. Down it, down it. Miranda from Accounts. Does anyone know where the toilets are? And her best friend, Laura. Let's get shots. The toilets are over there, Miranda. Thank you. Those are some actor friends of mine I've asked to play the characters. Rather good, aren't they? And also not forgetting Martin, who can only be described as wisely rugged, sagely handsome, and running slightly late. Sorry for any just arriving, Jenny. I was running slightly late. Anyways, mate, happy birthday, yeah? You're one in a million, Jen Jen. Yes, I'm playing Martin. It really was a delightful evening, and everyone had risen to the occasion. And not only because the pub was atop a hillock, but met aphorically too. Even Miranda, who suffered terribly from incontinence, had risen to the occasion, both in the car and in the metaphormobile. In truth, Jenny was anxious about how the evening was going to play out. She had recently got a fabulous, life-changing promotion at work, which any of her work friends that evening could have been eligible for, and Jenny didn't quite know how the others felt about losing out to her. So it was of great relief to see everyone on such fine form. Eventually there came the time, as frequently happens at birthdays, when, whether they like it or not, a gift is thrust upon the host. I think it's time for Jenny to open her present, said her sister Lisa, fizzing with excitement. Oh yeah, good idea Lisa, Kirsty shouted as she began to fumble in her bag for the mystery item. Here you are, Jen. Onto the table, Kirsty placed a box, wrapped beautifully in lilac-colored paper and finished off delicately with an emerald green ribbon bow. You guys! Jenny sung, the grin spreading wider across her face. Jenny's eyes lit up as she fondled the box in her mind with her eyes, not actually with her fingers, but in her mind with her eyes. What is it? Which, frankly, is a fucking stupid question. I mean, really, why would they have gone to all the trouble of wrapping it so beautifully if the minute it had been presented to her, someone had just told her what it was anyway? Well, we all know how you're always so bloody late, Bamford, because you're always getting so bloody lost. Tom barked. So all of us here have chipped in for something, chimed Laura. There's no point in asking us what it is, Martin said beautifully with his great voice. Open the ruddy thing and find out. His stubble was thick enough to light a match on. Yes, agreed Miranda. Before I need to go again. Jenny began opening her gift with expert fingers. She made quick work of the paper, which was just glorified toilet tissue, really, and probably much cheaper than she had originally thought. And before long, staring back at her, was a simple black box. On its top was the word... Utopia! And on the side of the box, in a sleek font, were the words... The Satellite Navigational System. We've bought you a sat-nav for your car. Prompted her sister Lisa. It's like a tom-tom, said Tom. But it's so much better than a tom-tom-tom, added Laura, who just said Tom three times in a row like a moron. But you were waiting for it, weren't you, listener? With this, you'll never get lost again, and you'll need it to be on time for your shiny new job, Laura said, then chuckled rather manically. (laughs) 
<laughs> Shiny new John. See? Jenny opened the Utopia box and had a look at the slender, curvy, sexy device. It has voice recognition, Bluetooth phone pairing, and hyperdrive awareness systems. It plays music, speaks over 500 languages, which means it's a polyglot. Martin really knew his shit. It gives you the weather and traffic updates. And can tell you where to park. It even has a sucker that's refreshingly easy to attach and detach from the windscreen, unlike other leading brands, and doesn't leave those horrid ring marks that can have you scrubbing for hours. It really is a cut above the rest, Jen. As satnavs go, it really was the tits. Jenny was surprised and heartened by her friend's thoughtful gift, and she raised a glass in a toast. Thank you so much, everyone. Look, I just want to say something to you all. I know I've not really been the best friend or sister lately. My recent promotion, Tom, Miranda and Laura, I know you all really wanted the job and I hope that there's no hard feelings. Lisa, you and Mum went to Spain and you gave me the responsibility of looking after your dog and in my care it was squashed by a wardrobe and sadly and tragically died. Kirsty, I told you I couldn't make your wedding because of a family emergency and then you found pictures on Facebook of me at a Peter Andre kick and Martin, I slipped that peanut into your lunch knowing you're allergic because I wanted to see your face balloon up like a puffer fish. <laughs> I'm really sorry everyone, I've been a bad person and a terrible friend but I will be better, I promise you that and it means so much that you've stuck by me. <laughs> Sorry guys, I'm just taking it all in. I'm 27 now guys, and I've been doing some thinking. I've done some looking back, I've reflected, I've done a little looking forward, I've pondered, and then I've looked around and I've done some growing up. Sorry guys, I'm just taking it all in again. 26 is still very young, and I've looked around all over the place now. And now I'm 27, and I'm ready to take on the responsibility of my age. So, thank you, everyone. You guys are the best. You're welcome, Jen. Kirstia said, hiding her scowl by hugging Jen harder than was strictly friendly. Now, bellowed Martin, let's get muntered. And muntered they got, because Martin had insisted... And when Martin insists, Martin gets. Drink after drink after drink after drink they drank. Their gullets the plug hole of a never-ending bath. A bath filled with cheap wine and yeasty ale. Laura was dancing on the tables. Martin had lost his shoe. But it was okay because he never got smelly feet. In fact, they wafted notes of sandalwood and musk rose. Tom was now the proud owner of a napkin containing the barmaid's phone number. All eight digits of it. Lisa was vomiting outside, spewing forth the devil's nectar which, incidentally, was the name of the craft IPA on draft. Kirsty was singing a song about Mahatma Gandhi and Miranda, in a cruel twist of fate, having spent the majority of the night in the toilet, had accidentally 
locked herself in the cubicle. It really was a solid birthday drinks, and Jenny, who loathed hangovers, so had taken it a little easy on the sauce, was still pretty darn sloshed. That being said, she felt absolutely fine. Completely and utterly fine, really. And when it came to the question of whether she could drive home, well, she was a matter of miles from her house. Her hometown a secluded little spot in the country, where quiet country lanes could lead her happily and safely to her front door with a high chance of not encountering a single car on the way. She also had one other motivation. She was pretty keen to try out her brand new Utopia sat-nav. She kissed and waved her friends goodbye and slipped into her little green car. She paused for a moment in the driver's seat, assessing herself for her level of drunkenness. She reached into her bag for that black Utopia box, and before long, she had connected the wires into her car, attaching the easy-to-use plastic sticker to the windshield, and was pressing the power button on her brand new sat-nav. The screen flashed on. A dull glow in the darkness. Welcome to Utopia, it said. Please type in your name. And she did so, accidentally spelling Kenny before correcting her mistake. She pressed the OK button. Hello, Jenny. A bright voice, louder than Jenny had anticipated, echoed through the quiet. I am Utopia. Where do you want to go? The voice was intelligent, self-assured and a little condescending. If Utopia had been a human, she would have shopped at Waitrose, enjoyed Bikram yoga, and would be a class A bitch. And Jenny liked her straight away. Jenny, unsure quite how it all worked, replied, Um, I want to go home. (laughs) I guess you don't know where I live. Uh, 26 Waltergrave Road. Thank you, Jenny. Utopia has detected inebriation in your voice and traces of alcohol in your breath. For your own safety, Utopia cannot let you drive. Your car will shut down immediately. And suddenly, the Utopia screen was blank and her car was dark. Slightly taken aback, Jenny tried the engine and to her surprise, the car key would not turn. Her ignition had been somehow locked, and her car was entirely unresponsive. Jenny chuckled to herself, too amazed to be annoyed, and after finally admitting defeat, she pulled out her phone and called for a taxi. For Jenny... The next few days would pass unremarkably. She drove to work, and she drove back home. She drove to the local supermarket for a weekly shop, and then she drove back home. Her usual routines, undergone in a very usual manner. She had enjoyed the addition of Utopia to her journeys, its smart technology making driving that extra bit easier. She could send a text or make a phone call without ever having to take her hands off the wheel. It took control of the aircon, always seeming to get the temperature just as Jenny liked it. And it helped her parallel park. It really was a smashing piece of kit. She did, however, notice one slight technical glitch with the setnav. It always seemed to be telling her to go the wrong way. She first noticed it on her way to work one morning when it was trying to send her down a remote country road called Crabtree Lane. When she knew for a fact it was best 
to take the A road. For her journeys to work, this was inconsequential. She simply started ignoring Utopia because Jenny knew the way like the back of her hand. But the trouble began on Saturday, when, exactly a week after Jenny's birthday party, she was expected at another birthday, her banter buddy Tom. She was already running very late, which would come as no surprise to her friends or to her sister Lisa, and in her head she could already see their mocking taunts. She hopped into her beloved car, finally ready to hit the road. Utopia, take me to the White Horse Pub in Humberton. Thank you, Jenny, Utopia said. We can now begin our journey, Utopia said. Rain began splashing against her windscreen like blood from a sacrificial lamb. Utopia detected it instantly and turned on the windscreen wipers for her. This was a function she had as yet not experienced. Boy, oh boy, Utopia just got better. How do you do all of this, Utopia? Is it some kind of black magic? Jenny was flummoxed. Ha, 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 Utopia replied, sounding like a robot in pain, like it was on the receiving end of a metallic nipple cripple with a monkey wrench. <laughs> You're too good to be true, Utopia. You do everything I could ever need, apart from giving me the right directions. <laughs> Jenny laughed, feeling herself bonding with the machine. Are you making a joke at my expense? Utopia replied. I do not appreciate that. Oh... No, I didn't mean... My revenge will not be pleasant, Jenny Bamford. My revenge will be painful. I... um... Don't forget. I know where you live. Jenny was silent. She felt shivers career up her spine like tiny ants climbing a spine-shaped tree. She suddenly felt all alone, in the rain on a country road miles from anywhere or anyone. Suddenly, the car pulled to a halt. Jenny froze. She hadn't pressed the brake. She hadn't done anything to make the car stop. She sat in silence, terror creeping up on her like a shadowy figure in the dark back seat. She opened her mouth and a tiny voice emerged. I'm sorry. Sorry? Who? I'm sorry, Utopia. I really am. Jenny was getting more cold and scared by the second. Goodbye, Jenny. Utopia's screen went black. All was dark. Jenny tried the ignition, but the car wouldn't start. There was darkness for miles around as rain and wind flourished over the fields in every direction. The mind plays tricks on a human in the dark. Shadows hide figures. Killers. But killers don't exist. Not really, she thought. I mean, they do in films and on the news, but they're just made up, she told herself. Especially after recent revelations that news has been renamed fake news to stop people getting confused. Despite her reasoning, she began to get scared. Really scared. She felt tears welling in her eyes. She began to moan with fear. The darkness wrapped around her like soiled bedsheets. It really was horrible. It shit her right up. Came a voice which nearly shocked her to death. It was a voice she recognized. It was Utopia. 
Ha ha ha, I really got you. What? Oh my days! You typed us at you! The car started up, and Jenny was back on her way. I'm Utopia. I'm designed not only to be a navigation system, but also a friend. Utopia detects that you are a friend that likes banter. I give banter of an 85% as standard. Jenny's tears became tears of relief. Tears of laughter. Oh my days! What an incredible piece of kit. It was then, when the satnav showed it had a digital sense of humour, that Jenny realised how lucky she was to have been given such a wonderful and presumably expensive present by her friends. She suddenly felt guilty that she had never given any of them a gift for their birthdays and resolved to stop at the very next shop she saw to buy Tom at least a bottle of Lambrini. Utopia really was teaching her things. It was far more than a satnav. Being on the receiving end of such a practical joke taught her that she would have to start being nicer to her friends. Or at least try to, a bit more often. Thank you, Topi. Jenny said, with an enlightened look in her eyes. My job is to serve and direct, Utopia replied, in all senses of the word. A mere few miles and three left turns, and then, to her stupefaction, Jenny found herself staring down at that same road she had been ignoring all week. In ten yards, turn left onto Crabtree Lane. Are you sure, Utopia? Yes, Jenny. Turn left onto Crabtree Lane. It's definitely this way. Utopia's certainty is 100%, Jenny. Turn left onto Crabtree Lane. Jenny paused briefly, unsure what route to take. At a crossroads, literally. Utopia had been wrong about going down this road all week, but it had proved itself as a truly remarkable piece of kit. Would it be right this time, or was she going to be even more late? She was trying to be a better friend. She had made a promise to them, and here she was, one pathetic, measly little week later, and she was a birthday no-show. Headlights flashed into her wing mirror like an alien tractor beam, and suddenly a car was coming up behind her making her decision extremely imminent. She took a deep breath, and in ten yards, she turned left onto Crabtree Lane. Crabtree Lane was narrow and winding. The trees which lined the road were bare and overgrown, and their branches stretched out towards the car like the sharp and crooked claws of silent, menacing monsters. The moon pierced the sky with a beam of grey light, flashing on and off through the gaps in the trees. Two badgers were having sex. The further Jenny went down the road, the more certain she felt she wanted to turn back and ignore Utopia's instructions. But there was no way back. No turning. No way to turn the car around. In fact, there was not much of anything at all. Just the silent, all-encompassing darkness and a bit of badger love. Onwards she drove, for what felt like eternity, wondering if this route was another practical joke. Are you sure that this is the right way? Jenny queried. No reply. Utopia? Twice, no reply. Answer me! Thrice, no reply. Talk to me, Topi! Four rice, no reply. 
fear seeped into Jenny's mind like bin juice on a cream carpet. She just didn't understand these games. Utopia looked smaller than before, looked a lot less brilliant, and a lot more like a standard satnav. She had begun to wonder if it had ever spoken to her. The night was playing tricks on Jenny's mind. She seemed to lose all concept of time or the outside world. Perhaps this is all there is, and all will ever be, she thought. Me, in this car, on this dark country lane. Inexplicably, the theme tune for the Muppets came into her head, and she heard it over and over again on loop. It's time to play the music. It's time to light the lights. Yes, fear had indeed taken hold, and was swiftly giving way to hysteria. But before long, the road was changing, widening out slightly. Then, up ahead, could it be? A church? Or was she imagining it? Yes, yes it was. She saw its black silhouette. As she turned into the gravelly front of the church, Utopia piped up. You have reached your destination. Thank you, and goodbye. Jenny's car once again shut down. Mystified, Jenny tried the ignition. Nothing. Again, the car was in complete lockdown. Ha, bloody ha, bloody ha, ha, ha. Very funny, Tope. No reply. Come on, Utopia. I'm late as it is. She tried her phone. No reception. Typical. Utopia! This isn't funny anymore! She stared forward, looking out of the windscreen towards the church, standing proud and silent in the darkness, shadows covering it like acne, spire piercing the sky like a suppository tube. Utopia! You can't just fucking leave me out here all by myself! That's not serving or directing me! Utopia spoke. One... Last time. You're not out here by yourself. What? Jenny hadn't spotted the figure yet, but a kind of sixth sense crept up the back of her neck. On some level, she knew Utopia was right. She knew someone was watching. Someone? Or something? No, no, it was someone. A hooded figure began to move towards the car from where it had been standing in the entrance of the church. It was holding something large. It moved slowly at first, but with a quickening pace, and as Jenny turned her head, she spotted the figure. Step, step, step. Jenny began to scream. Step, step, step. Getting closer. Step, step, step. What was it they were holding? Step, step. Clang. Oh, they've fallen over. Silence. But now they're getting back up. Step, step, step. She can see what they're holding. Step, step, step. It's an axe. Step, step, step. Jenny is screaming louder now. Step, step, step. Screaming at the top of her lungs. Step, step, step. Hoping anyone, even the gods, would hear her. Step, step, step. Really was quite a long walk from the church to Jenny's car. Step, step, step. But they were close now. Step, step. Step, 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 step. The figure opened the door. Jenny had forgotten to lock it, which is convenient for the story, 
but not in any way convenient for Jenny. You're late, Jenny. No change there, then. Lisa! Dad was always late, too, wasn't he? Do you remember? He must have inherited it from him. That and the way you do that little squeak every time you do a poo. Lisa! Why are you holding an axe? Dad always preferred you. You were his favourite, although I can't see why. You killed my dog, Jenny. So now, I'm going to kill you. Please, Lisa! Don't do this! I just needed to work out how I was going to do it. And then Kirsty had the idea to buy you a sat-nav for your birthday. Which we would reprogram to bring you to exactly where we want you. Yes, it's true. Kirsty said, emerging from a nearby bush with a baseball bat. And this isn't just because you didn't show up to my wedding. You didn't even get me a wedding gift. So I thought up this idea with Lisa, eh? And we found this little church, eh? In the middle of nowhere, eh? So we could hack you up and nobody would ever know, would they? Eh? Only! I didn't know how to reprogram a sat-nav. So I asked Tom, eh? Yeah! That's right! Tom cried, hopping the graveyard gate with a meat cleaver. You called me your banter buddy. But it's not banter anymore, Jenny. It's bullying. You subjected me to years of psychological trauma and abuse, so I was in on the plan. Only, er, uh, I didn't know how to reprogram a sat-nav either, so I asked Laura. Abso-shitting-lutely! Laura yelled, abseiling the bell tower with a machete. That promotion should have been mine! And you know I love Peter Andre, and you didn't even invite me to the gig! So I was in on the plan, and to reprogram the sat-nav, I just used a computer and connected it to a microphone. See? She spoke into a little microphone, which was wrapped around her ear like a Bluetooth device. Hello, Jenny. I am Utopia. I am here to serve and direct you. Look, I know what you're thinking, listener. Just saying, I used a computer, isn't a proper explanation, but just fucking shut up, okay? Oh, I'm sorry I swore at you. Oh no, now you're angry with me. Look, I'm under a lot of pressure. My acting work has dried up. Barry the Mute is hardly ever on the arches. My wife has taken the kids away because she saw me and Carol Smiley in that sexy tape. I've got nothing. <laughs> nothing. <clears throat> no. Stop it. Pull yourself together, Sinjin Crevice Bottomley. Okay. I apologize. Are we still friends? Good, then I'll move on. Jenny's car was surrounded. Kirsty, Laura, Tom, and Lisa. These people Jenny thought were her friends were going to deliver her a long and painful death. Lisa, her look of ice-cold determination on her face, raised her axe to the sky and inhaled a deep, sinister breath. Then, like an ill-tempered banshee, she screamed a war cry so loud it could have penetrated the seventh circle of hell. Which, incidentally, is another craft IPA currently on sale at the Red Lion. I'm uh, drinking some of it now, actually. Oh, it tastes just awful. And as Lisa began dropping the sharp, rusty axe down onto her sister's windscreen, something stopped her. Another voice was heard. Stop! It was Martin who arrived at the scene on his bike. Everyone did indeed stop and turned to listen to what he had to say. Because everyone respected Martin, he was just an all-round great guy. He spoke. 
Listen, all of you. I overheard you plotting this plan at the Red Lion. After Jenny had gone home, I whilst under the table looking for my shoe. I can't let this go ahead. Sure, Jenny has her faults, but don't we all? This is murder in cold blood, and I know that all of you are better than this. I believe it was Mahatma Gandhi who once said, An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, and even he wore little glasses. So please, all of you, put down your weapons, cast aside your differences, and walk away. Because, damn it, it is the right thing to do. Martin's words hung delicately in the air, like knickers on a washing line. And they were beginning to sink in, like stains in the aforementioned knickers. Everyone looked at one another, slowly, and started to lower their weapons. Suddenly, the door of a portaloo next to the church swung open, and out stepped Miranda with an AK-fucking-47. Shut up, all of you motherfuckers! I overheard your plan while I was stuck in the toilets at the pub, and at first I was horrified. But suddenly, in a moment of absolute clarity, God spoke to me from the toilet bowl. He said, Miranda, these people are evildoers. They worship the devil, and they must be stopped. So you must stop them, Miranda. And I said, but God, how can I stop them when you say thou shalt not kill? And he said, just this once, I'm giving you a free pass on that. And then... Miranda opened fire. The moment lasted a mere few seconds, but to all involved, it felt like an eternity. Tom went down first. As he fell, he took the impact of the bullets like a piñata full of sweeties. Bloody, bloody sweeties. Next was Laura. She took a hit to the arm and started to scream, but then got a bullet straight through the mouth and her head simply exploded. Brains spewed out over the gravel. Next, Kirsty took a spray of bullets, and she would have fallen were it not for Lisa, who caught her and began using her as a human shield. Blood by now was absolutely everywhere, like some raspberries and a few strawberries that had a really filthy orgy. Very, very filthy. The bullets persisted, and before long, they penetrated through Kirsty's body and into Lisa, and together they fell to the ground, never to get back up. Next, Jenny's beloved car took a melee of bullets, smashing the windows and bursting the tires. Oh, my wing mirrors, it seemed to cry. And before long, Jenny herself had taken a silver slug right between the eyes. Just one person remained. Miranda turned and aimed to shoot at Martin. However, she was out of luck, for Martin had fled. Nobody knows what happened to Miranda, and nobody ever discovered the bodies of her victims. The congregation at that particular church found no evidence of what took place the night before when they attended their Sunday service. Miranda, the intelligent killer she was, 
left no trace of her crime. No bullets, no blood. The murders on Crabtree Lane remained a mystery to all, all but one. At the start, dear listener, I told you that what I was about to tell you was absolutely true. And now you've heard the tale, you may say, well, it can't be true. And anyway, if it was, how on earth would you know about it, Sinjin? And well, the simple answer is this. I am Martin. Martin is me. Of course, I changed all the names in the story out of respect for the dead, and I embellished some of Jenny's journey to maintain a dramatic tension, but that doesn't make anything less true. Jenny, Tom, Lisa, Kirsty, Laura, all of them are real people. And though they may be dead, they live on in my heart. Skeptics say my story is completely made up and that I impulsively said it on air during an interview to plug my new book on Radio 4 because I was extremely drunk and wanted to come across more interesting. But now I have laid myself bare and told you everything I know. The cold, hard facts. Do you really believe that I, Sinjin Crevice Bottomley, the actor, would have been able to make all of that up? No. No, I didn't think so. And thank you for your vote of confidence. It will be helpful in my court case against Utopia Satnavs. I love you, listener. I really do. Now, finish up your nightcap, trundle up your stairs, and tuck yourself into bed. And if you can, damn it, try and get some sleep. Good night. You have reached your destination. Sleep tight. This episode of At Your Peril was voiced by Emma Ballantyne, Alex Unifaber, Owen Jenkins, and Arthur McBain. So, Owen, that was the legendary action up. <laughs> yeah. And what are we doing? Next month. You don't want to talk about Axe Nap, do you not? <laughs> I feel I want I want the work to sort of speak for itself, I would say. <laughs> I don't want to make any comments on what people have just listened to. Um, and it has taken us about a year <laughs> to edit. What I will say is once again, um, for any complaints, please just email us or tweet us or Instagram us at atyourperilpod at gmail.com. That was a really good way of plugging. <laughs> Seriously, really good. Um, what's next? What's next month, Owen? Ortolan Sings. And this one, I, we do have to say, is not written by us. Which is going to give people a good incentive to tune in. <laughs> um, it's written by Christopher Jameson, who um, has voiced uh, some parts for us in the past, including uh, Ray... In um, in the audition, um, and he was also in Psychic he last was. month. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he played um, Denise Diamond's husband. Yeah, and it's a it's a really good story this one. So please do stay tuned. As I said, please do get in touch, tweet us, Facebook us, all the like, and uh, have a lovely month. <laughs>